You know, Christmas for me has always started after Thanksgiving. I like Thanksgiving. It's my favorite time of the year. Food, football, family. I mean, it is like the trifecta of wonderful things. And so I always put off. I don't want anything. I don't want to even listen to Christmas music till after Thanksgiving. It's like the uncorrupted holiday. But then there are others, unlike me, who are like the store that says, I'm ready to get into Christmas in October. And so you start decorating, you got the music playing, you got the tree up, you got kids running around in Christmas PJs. I mean, you're all into Christmas. I remember just a few years ago, even cultures waited until after Thanksgiving because we had this event, Super Bowl of Shopping, called what? Black Friday. And I even participated in that, regrettably. Um, one, one year, I remember waking up saying, you know, these people would never get up to come to a 4 a.m. prayer meeting, but they will get up to go shopping on Black Friday. And so I got caught up in this frenzy of going, you know, it was back when they have those, those items for kids that are in short supply. And so you got to get to Toys R Us like at five o'clock to get in line or in Walmart at a certain time. And so we got up early and went to all these different stores to get things, fought the crowds, got home. Man, I am praising God today for Amazon Prime. I love Amazon Prime. Yeah, right down the road. Sometimes even next day delivery, I can watch football and order, order the stuff. I don't even have to get off the couch. I mean, got a remote here, my phone here. I'm doing everything right here. I just need a porta potty right over here. That's all, and it'll all be good. But you know, this is this is a time for many that become so inundated with calendar items, uh, with the stress of the bills, of trying to measure up to everyone's expectations for how we decorate, how we dress, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and for many people, Christmas isn't the most wonderful time of the year. It's a time of disappointment and frustration and stress, and especially these days, for some, loneliness, sadness, because someone's not going to be around that Christmas dinner table this year, or going to Christmas Eve service with you, or opening gifts with you. And so, deep in your heart, you're grieving this Christmas. And I want us to all go back to the core of the Christmas message, because we're going to spend the month of December just looking at that and making it practical in our lives, because the, the core of the Christmas message is the fact that God took on human flesh in the form of a baby who then became our Savior. And what's so amazing about this, it's called the incarnation, um, God taking on human flesh. But it's amazing to think that God would enter into this world with all the problems, all the messes, all the junk of this world. And he says, I'm coming to you guys. I'm going to come right in there with you. I'm going to walk right beside you. And I'm going to, I'm going to show that we can get through this together. In fact, the name Emmanuel, Old Testament name that was given to Jesus, means God with us. God with us. This very important reminder to know that God is indeed with us. And the story began with a couple named Joseph and Mary. Now, Mary had been told by an angel that she would become pregnant with a child by the Holy Spirit, and then she shared the news with Joseph, which, of course, Joseph, like any husband, would go, yay, so glad to hear that. You're pregnant miraculously. Like, he's going, what? What's, what's going on here? You know, I want to believe it, but I can't believe it. It just doesn't happen. And Joseph is struggling, so he determines he's going to quietly divorce her. And then God, in his grace, sends an angel to Joseph 
to also convince him. And that's the story I want to look at. We're not going to go into the story today, but this is the theme for the next few weeks, the, the theme of Emmanuel, God with us. Because here's what happens. It says, Joseph, son of David, this is the angel speaking, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, us. Did you know for about 400 years, the prophetic voice to God's people was turned off? There were no prophets that spoke during that period of time. It's as if God's people said, where, where, where is God now? You know, we had Elijah and we had Jeremiah and we had Micah and all these, nobody's speaking for God anymore. But we're, but we're not surprised why. Because they had this repeated pattern of disobedience and disloyalty and rebellion against God that God allowed them to be taken off to the Babylonians, God allowed some to be taken off to the Assyrians. And then when they regathered, it was like, I wonder if God's forgotten us. I wonder if, wonder if God's punishing us for our sins. And it wasn't that at all because God had told them through the prophet Isaiah that I'm, I'm not going to send a prophet in the future. I'm not just going to send a messenger in the future. I'm going to deliver a deliverer. I'm going to send to you the very one who will save you. And so he's preparing them for this. God has not forgotten them. God has not abandoned them. God is with them in this midst of this very difficult time. Now, I know this sounds, this sounds good, sounds churchy, especially around Christmas time, but I want to ask you, is God really with us? Is God with you? Where was God when the truck came out of nowhere and hit us? Where was God when I lost my baby? Where was God when my husband got cancer? Where was God when COVID struck? Where was God when I was abused? Where was God when my retirement evaporated? Where was God? I thought you said God was with us, but it sure didn't feel like it, sure didn't look like it. And I wanna, I wanna tell you, God does not exempt believers from the challenges and difficulties of this life. Just because we are believers doesn't mean you get to escape all the problems that this world brings upon people. We go through them too, but the difference is God promises to be with us to get us through those times. He will be with us in the most difficult times, in the peaks, in the valleys, in, in the storms, in the trials. He is with us. And I want to talk each week about places where God meets us, and today it's the storms. God meets us in the storms. Now, we're pretty familiar with storms, a lot of variety. There's rainstorms, you've seen those, not too bad. How about hailstorms? <laughs> Took on a whole new meeting a few years ago, didn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Most of us says, I'm not afraid of, ain't a little hail coming here. Now we, now we get a forecast of hail, we freak out, right? Because we know what it can do. It can destroy cars and houses and everything. So we've experienced, you know, baseball-sized hail. We know what that's like. Um, when we lived in Arizona, they have sandstorms. They're called, they're called a haboob. Do you know that, haboob? It's when this big wall of sand, it's like a, like a Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movie, comes in and just this covers the city with, with sand and dust and everything. Tropical storms. I mean, we're very familiar with them. Do you know that for, for the longest time, people would name tropical storms after saints? 
Whatever the saint of that day was, that's what, that's what it became. That tropical storm got the name. And then there's a meteorologist, 1800s. I think he had a rough marriage. Maybe a bad dating experience. Says, I'm going to start naming these hurricanes and stuff after women. Okay? Because I know some women that can really tear things up. And so, you know, I'm just going to start naming them after bad girlfriends. I don't know what he did. He just started naming them after, after women. Uh, I, heard, I heard when I was in grade school that they were called after women because they were hurricanes, not himicanes. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> don't think it is. No scientific proof of that. But the United States do- adopted that. They adopted that. In the you know, 1950s, we said, we're going to do the same thing, call them after, you know, give them female names. And then in 1979, that's the year that I graduated, it had nothing to do with what I'm about to tell you, but same year, they, they decided equal rights. We're going to call them after men too, Okay. We're going to call hurricanes after women and after men. Now, my wife and I in 2005 were in the midst of a hurricane. At the time, it was the most intense hurricane to hit the Western Hemisphere. It's called Hurricane Wilma. And uh, we were down in Cancun with two other couples from our church. They had taken us as a guest down there. And we enjoyed a great week until we heard the storm was coming in. And it then hovered over Cancun for several days. Uh, we were evacuated from our uh, hotel. We were taken into town. A bunch of us were boarded up in a little school that had no glass windows, just door uh, shutters over the windows, brick walls. And all we got to take was the clothes we were wearing, a pillow, and a bed sheet. And for the next four to five days, that's all we had. In fact, we didn't even have food for a couple days. We just, we slept on a cement floor with your little sheet, little pillow. And uh, I thought it was kind of fun, actually. Like bonus vacation. I said, just like camping. This is kind of cool. So we'd go out there and uh, get under the gutters and found a bar of soap and we could shower up under the rain. And then they showed up with these bags of uh, tuna, fish, and crackers. Yeah, that's what I said. Protein, protein, salt, I love that. So I actually really liked it. It felt really good. It tasted real good. It felt hearty. Um, my wife didn't think so. A lot of other people didn't think so. They said, you know, this is like manna every day. I, we don't like the quail. I mean, we don't like the tuna fish and the crackers. But by the time they brought us back to the hotel, like four or five days later, we noticed hotels that had been flattened. I mean, just, it looked like it looked like a Middle Eastern city in the Iraq War period. It just was devastated, except some of the hotels withstood it. In fact, ours did, so we got to go back in and wait the thing out and then got out of there. But, you know, sometimes the literal storm creates the storm. More often than not, there's an emotional storm going on in your life or my life. It could be relational. It could be medical. It could be financial. It could be occupational all kinds of ways, this storm. It's like it sweeps in, it starts, to, it starts to overcome us, we feel overwhelmed, we even feel like we're being sucked under, and, it's, and, and there's fear, and there's um, frustration, there's danger, and, and it's been told that we are always either going into a storm, in the middle of a storm, or coming out of a storm. And I don't know about you, but I have a feeling you're one of those places, you've just come out of a storm, right now you're in the midst of a storm, or you're coming out of one. And you need to know God is with you in all of those places. Every single. In fact, we're going to look at a biblical story that I believe um, gives us some great advice of what to do in the midst of the storm. Because God knows your storm. And by the way, when I was thinking of storms this week, I couldn't help but think, what kind of storm four families in Michigan are feeling right now? Can you imagine? And then the anger and the hurt. And it's Christmas, 
Oh, my goodness. This week, we got news that a 52-year-old man in our church died of COVID. He's got kids in school. What are they going through? What kind of storm is that? And, and there's other stories right here in this room at this time. And, and those of you watching online, I know some of you are going through incredible storms. So I want us just to pause and pray. And would you ask God to speak to you today? Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, thanking you for the reminder this Christmas that you are with us, Emmanuel. And may you make that clear to us. May you show us how you are with us. May you show us what we need to do to respond to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 14. I want to read this, this part of the story. It says, immediately, speaking of Jesus, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. The crowds had gathered, and we're gonna, I'll talk about it in a minute, but they had just fed over 5,000 men and their families. So it says he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, one thing about this text is you need to know it's, it's actually packaged in a longer part of Scripture that it is this, probably the second most stressful day of Jesus' life. Because what happens on this day, the stressful, most stressful was his crucifixion, but this day began with him getting news saying, your cousin, your beloved cousin John the Baptist, he's been killed. They beheaded him. And Herod wants to come see you. Because Jesus says, I think I need to get away and pray about this. So Jesus is getting away to pray, and while he's up on this hill praying, the disciples find him. And they're all excited because they've been out doing ministry, and they're like kids coming back with their homework saying, you want to hear what we did? You want to hear what happened on this mission? Jesus, listen to us. And I don't know if they even know what happened about John the Baptist, but Jesus listens, hears their reports of everything. And they didn't do a good job of sneaking up there because people saw where they were going and where Jesus was, and it says the crowds began to follow them. Some began running toward them. It wasn't just like dozens or hundreds of people, thousands. It ends up being 5,000 men, which doesn't include the women and the children. So there could be 20 plus thousand people now gathered in this place where Jesus says, I just wanted to get away to pray. Do you ever feel that your day goes like that? I, I call it kind of the piranha hour when you, when you just feel like, man, everyone wants a piece of me right now. Some of you homemakers, you know what piranha week is. Because you can hardly get away without some kid pulling on. You can't even hardly use the restroom without a kid pounding on the door, asking what you're doing, and, and they need you, and they want you to play, and all that kind of stuff. So, so what Jesus does is uh, he starts teaching the crowd. And the disciples um, listen, and he's, he's ministering to them, which is so amazing, thinking Jesus went up there to... to get solace from the Father, but now he's pouring himself out more to people. And the disciples say, hey, you need to take a break. These guys are starving, and if they don't get to market soon, there's not going to be any food to eat. And Jesus says, how about you feed them? <laughs> what do you mean us feed them? I don't have the kind of money to feed a crowd like this. Well, what do you have? Well, they scrounge up a, a lunch that has some fish and bread in it, and Jesus says, that looks good. That's a, that's a good starter kit. Let's take that and praise over it, begins to break it and divide it up. Well, it feeds everybody. Everybody ate until they were satisfied. Not only that, they had 
12 basketfuls left over. It's like Jesus said, one for you, Peter, one for you, John, one for you, Levi. You know, just goes to every person. There's, there's a basket. Why are you guys doubting what I can do? So then Jesus says to them, okay, guys, we got we to break now. Get out onto the boat and go across the other side. I'll meet you there. In the meanwhile, Jesus goes up on the hill. But when they get out there, they encounter the storm. See, the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, eight miles wide, 12 miles across, or, or eight, eight, yeah, eight miles wide, 12 miles in length. Some place that's 200 feet deep. Some of those disciples are very familiar with the Sea of Galilee because they work on the sea. They're fishermen. So they're very familiar with that body of water, but they know how quickly a storm can come in. In fact, earlier in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and a storm comes. But this time, Jesus is asleep. And the disciples are freaking out. Jesus, there's a storm. You got to do something. And Jesus goes, oh, just a minute. Ah, stop. And the waves just boom. Everything just stops. You just, all the waves, uh, wind, it just all dies down. And they go, oh my goodness, this guy's got power. Wow. Now think of this. A few chapters later, Jesus says, hey, let's try this without me in the boat. See how they do. I mean, they've been out doing ministry, thinking it's all a piece of cake. Now I've just taught them a lesson in the feeding of the 5,000. Let's see how they handle this. Now, this is why this is so important. It's one thing to physically see Jesus with you to know he's with you. Well, they know Jesus is with them when they can't see him. Because there's coming a time in the very near future where Jesus won't be physically with them. What are they going to do? When they can't turn and say, hey, Jesus, can you do this for us? He's going to say, no, no, I've trained you. I've trained you. you. You can handle this. You can do this. And isn't that the world we live in? I mean, we don't get the, the benefit of seeing Jesus show up in the hospital room, Jesus show up at the school, or Jesus show up at work. We, we, but we have to believe he's with us. And I think this story will communicate that. Because there's two main truths I want to point out in this. The first one is that Jesus sees us in the storm. He sees us in the storm. Mark, Mark in his re record of this account, says this line, Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Jesus, on the hill, could actually see the disciples out there straining against the wind. It's like he, he knows what's going on, but he's not doing anything. At least it seems. He's not coming to the rescue. He's not rushing down to stop it. Is he smirking? <laughs> what's, what's he doing? What's Jesus doing up there? He's letting them struggle. Just like he lets you and me struggle in the midst of our storms. Now, I know that doesn't sound good because many of us feel like I'd never do that. If I saw someone struggling, if I saw someone in need, if I saw someone in pain, I'm going to be right there to save them from it. And Jesus says, you're going to do them harm then. Because some of the greatest lessons you'll ever learn, the way that faith is purified, the way that priorities are aligned properly, the way that resilience is developed is through going through struggle. It's how muscles are developed through the struggle. If you spare someone, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes from the struggle, they will never fully develop the way they should. See, if you see a little bird uh, pecking its beak through the shell, trying to get out, and you go, oh my goodness, he's trying to get out. I'm going to help him. I'm going to crack that shell open. Or if you see a little butterfly trying to get out of the cocoon, and finally a little wing pops through, oh, I'm going to help it out and rip it open, you might likely kill that creature. Because God has made this so that in the process of breaking out, there are uh, fluids that flow within the wings and within the body that it needs. 
It needs to struggle. It's like a baby needs to cry when it comes out of the womb. Don't say, don't, don't, don't cry. I mean, Jesus didn't cry. You should, that's what song says, by the way. Uh, you shouldn't cry. No, baby cries because the, 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 this baby has been in ma- mama's womb in this uh, amniotic sac for all this time, needs to now know, I, I'm not there anymore. I need my lungs to work. I've got I've to clear them out. So the struggle develops something within. God allows us to struggle. Does he care? Yes. He cares enough to let you struggle. Sometimes you need to let your kids struggle. Sometimes you need to let your friends struggle because God's doing something in their life and it requires them to struggle. But what is he doing? What is Jesus? Does does it mean that Jesus is aloof? No, he cares. But here's, here's what this story shows. Jesus is praying for us in the midst of it. Because while Jesus is on the hill, he's there to pray. It says he went back up there to pray to finish what he went up there to do in the first place. Now, I'm sure he's pouring out his heart of grief for John the Baptist, but I can't help but think he's also praying for those guys out there. Father, may they trust you. Father, may they learn the lessons I've been trying to teach them. May they be men of great faith, Lord. I pray for them. And I know Jesus prays because one of the, one of the marks of the high priest is that he intercedes. The high priest offers a sacrifice for the people. But the high priest also is like a mediator between God and man. That's why it says in the book of, of Romans that, he, that Jesus is there at the right hand of God interceding for us. Isn't that beautiful? In, Rome, in Hebrews chapter seven, it says he always lives to make intercession for us. That's Jesus. How is he making intercession? I believe he's praying, just like the Garden of Gethsemane. The great priestly prayer is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, I, I pray for those who would follow me. Not only the disciples here, but those who would come later. I'm praying for them. I believe Jesus is praying for you, that your faith will be strong, that you're gonna get through this circumstance that you're, that you're fighting through. Now, while we're wrestling with our circumstances, Jesus is wrestling as well. Because that's what you do when you intercede. When he writes to the church of Colossae, he writes about a a man named Epaphras who's a prayer warrior. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. This guy's praying for them, but he's, he's struggling in prayer. That New International Version says, he is always wrestling for you in prayer. So if prayer becomes a wrestling match, who are you wrestling against? You you may be wrestling against yourself, your own uh, distractions, your own thoughts, maybe that's part of it. Maybe sometimes you feel like you're wrestling with God. God, I just pray for this. I pray you'll do this for me. But I believe what he's talking about there is the spiritual opponent we face, Satan. Because in a, in a letter written about the same time, a letter to the Ephesians, in the sixth chapter, Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of darkness in the heavenly realms. When you pray, and you are seeking to access the power that God has for you, I assure you, there is, a, there is a spiritual enemy who doesn't want you to tap into that. He says, get the plug out. You know, go do something else. Go, go check your Facebook. You know, go watch the ball game. You're too busy for this. You know, don't do it. He knows. And so the wrestling match we have in prayer is to say, I'm staying right here. I'm gonna stay right here and pray. I'm gonna, I'm just, I believe God's gonna hear me. I believe God's going to do something. I am wrestling for this in prayer. Jesus is wrestling for us in prayer. And while he's doing that, he's teaching us to wait. He's teaching us to wait. When Jesus finally comes to them, says he comes to them in the fourth watch. There's only four watches in the night. 
A watch was roughly a three-hour period. So there's the first watch was roughly 6 to 9 p.m. Second watch, 9 to midnight. Third watch, midnight to 3 a.m. Fourth watch, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Somewhere in that three-hour window, Jesus comes walking out on the water. Now tell me this. If you're waiting for Jesus to respond and he comes way at the end, aren't you going to think like, what's going on here? We've been praying all night. Where have you been? Where have you been? Come on, Jesus. While they're fighting the oars, I'll bet there were some very critical statements made about Jesus. Why did he send us out here, guys? I think he sent us out here to die. I think he's frustrated with us. You know, what are they thinking about? Jesus, why are you taking so long? Don't you ever feel that way? Do you ever pray and pray and pray and say, why, why are you taking so long, Lord? Okay. You, you, you could answer real quickly if you wanted to. Julie and I went on a, um, a cruise over Thanksgiving. Now, let me tell you the little background. We have uh, Velcro parents who last year had their 60th wedding anniversary, and they said, hey, we are going to buy a cabin for anybody in our family who wants to come on this cruise. You pay for any other expenses, but we're going to do that. And we said, hey, we're in. And we're going to be with, with these relatives. Well, last year, about 50-some were planning to go. And then COVID ruined it all, so it got pushed to this year. So instead of 60th anniversary, it became 61st anniversary. Um, but in order to go on this cruise, we had to be vaccinated and had to have a PCR rapid test done within two days of leaving port. So on Friday, two days before we're leaving on Sunday, we go to CVS, which says they could get one done within two days. And we, we get there, and the lady says, oh, by the way, she hands us that little skinny... Um, zip tie kind of thing and, and says stick that up your nose and then put it in this stuff and then we're going to send it off and you'll hear back from us in three to four business days. We said, wait a minute. You said three to four business days. Three to four days is bad. Three to four business days is even worse. That's not going to come in by Sunday. So we went ahead and did the test and said, we got to find another place. So we found a doctor up on the north end of town. They said they're getting their test results back within a day or two. We said, okay, let's go there. Uh, we had to pay to get the test done. And so we, we, we take the test, and, they, and then they say, we're getting a lot of them back on the very next day. So the next day, Saturday, we're getting ready to fly down to Louisiana. We check our email, no message, no word. I said, okay, we're still going to go, trusting that by tomorrow, we're going to get the results in. So Sunday morning, we look all morning long, I am getting no messages from anybody. And they are, they, we're supposed to be over there at the port at 10.30, so we leave our hotel, get a lift rider, drives us there, and while we're driving up to the port, I get this bing on my phone, and it says, your test results are in, and they're negative. And then Julie checked hers, same thing. Now, what's so amazing is, it was CVS. <laughs> the other place sent us the results on Tuesday. How, how many times in your life have you found that God made you wait to the last minute. And you're so frustrated, and you're getting to your wits end. He says, come on, God. You could make things a lot easier on us if you'd come through. And you go, oh, no, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. It's like, I want to teach you the beauty of waiting. Because what waiting does is say, you're not in control. I am. We don't operate on your timetable. We don't operate on my timetable. So just, you know, you stay ready, just be prepared, I'm coming through, but just going to have to wait. In fact, the psalm says, Psalm 27, David says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Good things are coming, but wait, <laughs> wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Again, wait for the Lord. 
Wait. It's in the waiting that God develops a deeper kind of faith, saying, I'm I'm confident God's going to do something. Book of Isaiah says, they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Now, just to make it clear, God is not promising strength to those who wait. He's promising strength to those who wait on the Lord. There's a difference. Just waiting and biding time does nothing to develop faith but an expectancy that says, God, you are coming through. We're trusting you. We're putting this in your hands. We give it to you. That's when faith develops, and God gives us strength. There's a story in the Old Testament of of God promising this elderly couple, Abraham and Sarah, that they're going to have a baby. Now that baby is going to come a lineage that's numbers in the thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. But they need to have this first baby, and they're trying, and they're not getting anything. So they decide to take matters into their own hands, And Sarah suggests to Abraham, why don't you sleep with my servant? She's younger, and maybe she could have that baby. So he does, and she gets pregnant. The gal's name is Hagar, and when Sarah learns that she's pregnant, she flips out. She says she gets real jealous. She doesn't want Hagar to be around there. So she sends her out of their their, um, camp, and so Hagar goes out there with no money, nothing. She's destitute. She goes out into the desert, but an angel of the Lord comes to her and tells her that God has not forgotten you. God has a plan for you and that baby, and you are going to name him Ishmael, and I'm going to do great things for you. And so she pauses and names that place, Beer Lahoy Roy, the well of the God who sees me. God saw her, and God sees you. You may not feel like it. And it may feel like God's, you know, Jesus is way over there, but know this, just like with the disciples, he sees you. He sees the storm you're going through. He sees the situation you're in. You need to take comfort in that. He is with you in the sense that he sees you. But this is the other side of that. This is the other lesson from the story. We need to look for him in the storm. Look for Jesus in the storm. When he does come out in the fourth watch of the night, they think he's a ghost. They're terrified. They weren't expecting Jesus. And the fact is that Jesus may appear sometimes to us in unexpected ways. Now, I always thought it was silly. You guys have spent all this time every day with Jesus. And it doesn't say that Jesus took on a different form, like he looked different. But when he comes out of the water, you guys didn't recognize him? How could you not recognize Jesus? You've been, been with him all this time. Well, you need to understand the culture and what the sea meant to them. See, in the biblical times, the sea was a very fearful place. We know what's under the sea. We've watched Jacques Cousteau documentaries. We've watched, you know, uh, scuba diving things. We've seen all that. We, we, We know what's under the water. We feel comfortable with that. But in biblical times, it was this dark, raging, moving thing. And we know that there's fish in there, but we think there's monsters in there too. In fact, some of the ancient literature from the Babylonians, the Akkadians, the Egyptians said that there are creatures, sometimes even monsters, that live in the sea. So in the in the biblical mindset in that culture says we're afraid of the sea it is a place of death it's a place of fear it's a place of hostility and that's why the biblical story of creation is so beautiful because if you look at other cultures and their creation stories there's all this chaos but in the book of genesis god comes into the into the chaos and brings order because he's in charge and all through the bible we see that people have this fear of the sea in fact in the book of revelation when it talks about the beast guess where the beast comes out of the sea And it says that death and Hades and the sea and all the dead that were in them are given up because the sea is the place, like the abyss. It's it's a place of death. It's a place of destruction. It's a place to be afraid of. 
In, in Revelation 21, though, when John sees the new heaven and the newer earth, he says, and there was no more sea. Now, I always read that and thought, how could there not be any sea in heaven? I've seen the sea. Sea's beautiful. Beaches are wonderful. I mean, there's none of that in heaven? I don't think that's the message that John is communicating to us in Revelation. When he says there's no more sea, what he's saying is there's no more chaos. There'll be no more beasts. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's all been done with. God is in charge. So Ray Vanderland, who's created this uh, video series for Focus on the Family called That the World May Know, he says, in Jesus' day, Jewish people would have recognized the sea as a symbol of chaos and hell. Is there any surprise then that when the disciples saw something moving, they became afraid? It's something coming out of the water. Is something here to harm us? We're afraid. They did not recognize Jesus. In Mark's gospel, again, he gives a little different perspective. He says, Jesus was about to pass them by. It's like Jesus was going, you know, just, I get a picture, Jesus could pass them by. Oh, maybe not quite as joyful as that, but Jesus is actually just walking by them and stops. Now, what's the purpose of that? What, what in the world is that all about? Well, Go back to the Old Testament. People could not see God. In fact, there's some moments where God reveals himself in a very um, unusual way. He says, Moses, go hide in the cleft of the rock, kind of peek through, because I'm about to pass by in my glory. He tells Elijah to stand on a mountain, for the glory of the Lord is about to pass him by. It's like God gave them a glimpse of who he was. Not for everybody, but just for them. But now in the New Testament, we have God in the flesh coming by them. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm not going to pass you by. I'm going to stop. And I'm not afraid of this water. I'm not afraid of the sea because I made it. I'm in charge. You do not have to be afraid of the storm or the sea when I'm here because I'm Lord over all of it. I am God in the flesh. And so there's a powerful message he's given to them about who he is at the moment. That you guys have no reason to be afraid. I'm here. I'm the maker and the manager of the sea. And so when, when God shows up in our lives in the midst of the storm, you've got to realize that, that he may show up in ways that you don't expect. While you're praying, God says, okay, I'm going to bring a friend alongside you. That's going to be my representative to help you through this difficult time. I'm going to provide for you through a surprise gift or bonus or check in the mail. Um, I'm going to speak to you through a sermon, through a book, through a song, a message just for you. I'm going to alert you to a dangerous decision you're about to make so that you don't make that decision. I'm going to open a door in front of you that's going to be so wide, you'll know it's me opening the door. See, we have to recognize that oftentimes we expect God to do this, and he says, no, 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 this is, I'm going to do this over here. That's my way. It's going to be different than your way. Keep your eyes open. And if you wonder if it really is Jesus speaking to you, do what Peter is going to do. Test it. Test it. Because what we're going to find is Peter listens to the Lord to find out if it's really him speaking. Because you'll know it's him when you step out in faith. Here's how Matthew tells the rest of the story. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, 
the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. There are times when you will not know for sure it's the Lord speaking to you until you obey what he said. And when it comes to pass, you go, oh my goodness, that was Jesus speaking to me. That really was the Lord. And think about Peter. Think of the logic. Jesus has been training us to do all the things he's done. He's sending us out to heal and cast out demons and preach the gospel and people are saved and he's, he's, he's helping us to learn to do all the things he's done. Well, by golly, if you can walk on water, maybe I could too. Jesus, if it's really you, call me to come out on the water. And Jesus says, come. And what does Peter do? Gets out of the boat, starts to walk toward Jesus. He did something none of the other disciples did. I have a feeling that there had been this uh, incredible rush of adrenaline for Peter to do what nobody else had done. I mean, think about this. This isn't a smooth sea. It's not like it's a sea of glass and he's getting out walking on it. It's still stormy. The waves are still battering the boat. It's rocking. And Peter's going to get out in that. And everyone else is clinging to the edge of the boat. And yet Peter says, okay, oh, I'm going get, to get over here, get out. And he steps out onto the water and goes, ho, 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 this is awesome. This is awesome. Look at me, everybody. I am walking on the water. <gasps> he starts walking on the water. As the song says, into the great unknown where feet may fail. He's walking on the water. It's amazing that Peter was willing to give up where he found security to go to where Jesus was. Because I think so often we cling to our boats. Our boat could be our, our finances, our job. Could be this community. Like, I, I don't know what it would be like to leave Whitefield, leave Colorado Springs. I don't know. I don't know if I could ever do that. I don't know if I could ever leave this job or this situation. I don't, it, it's just this great unknown. I don't know. And so we cling to it. We cling and we're not going to let go. Even though Jesus may be calling us, oh, I'd rather hold on to what's familiar than venture out into the great unknown. Yet that's where faith develops. That's where faith grows when you trust him. See, most of us, I think, are praying, God, um, would you be with me? Be with us, we pray. And I think Jesus is saying, hey, I'm praying you be with me. I'm praying you'd come out where I am. I don't want to go in the boat. I will, but I don't want to. I want you to be out here on the water with me. Listen to me. Come to where I am. And I believe God is always trying to stretch us, get us out of those comfort zones, take us into the great unknown. Fear will cause us to say no to God, but faith calls us to say yes. And stepping into this place where we used to be afraid of. I mean, think about Peter. If Peter's past was, oh, I'm terrified of the sea and the storm, you know, they, they just do bad things to me. He says, you know, done with it. I'm getting victory over this today. I'm actually going to get out and walk on this water. It's like he's, he's walking headstrong into his fear. It, you know, some of you maybe have jumped out of an airplane or gone up to places. I'm going to conquer this fear this time. I'm just going to go headfirst into it. It's like, did you know that bison and cattle, though they're very similar, are very different in one huge way? When there is a snowstorm coming in, cattle move with the wind and the storm. You know what bison do? They actually march into it. They actually turn their heads down and start marching into the severe storm because, because instinctively they know that's the quicker way to get out of it. Some of you are in a place where you're terrified and God says, you know what? You'd get through this if you just walk through it with me. The more you keep running, the longer you stay in that place of fear. 
I am with you. We'll get through it. Trust me. Step out in faith. But as Peter did, and sometimes we do, he began to look around him, saw the wind, saw what the waves were doing, probably thought like, what in the world am I doing out here? And began to sink. So he prays, shortest answered prayer that I think is in scripture, Lord, save me. No time to say, Lord, we beseech you on behalf of your awesomeness and power. No, he didn't do that. Didn't have time. He's like, Lord, save me. Jesus reaches down, grabs him pulls them up, they get into the boat, and then the storm dies down. See, here's the, here's the other truth. When you're looking for Jesus, stay fixed on him. Keep your eyes on Jesus and not the circumstances. It's natural to look all around us and see all the things that are happening. Like, oh my, that's happening. Lord. Oh my goodness, Lord, did you see that over there that's happening? Did you hear the report on the news about this over here? Oh my goodness, Omicron now, Lord, did you, did you hear that? And we get all this stuff bombarding us left and right. And uh, what about this? What about that? What about those people? And God says, really? You know what I've learned over the last couple of years? Is there's a lot of people who think they're experts who aren't. There are a lot of people who are giving their information but really don't know. And you know, I see so many conflicting reports whether it be from the news, from talk radio, from videos, from articles. I says, you know what? This is so confusing. But if there's one thing I, I, I want to be sure of is that I, I, I'm listening to the person who actually does have the answers. So there's one person who knows it all and his name's Jesus. And I would be far better spending my time devoting myself to hearing his voice and following him than listening to everybody else. Now, I'm not saying bury your head in the sand, that's not what we do. But so many of us are, are distracted constantly. You know, got to watch this. You, know, you need to see this video. Listen to this podcast. Watch this. Do, and, and I have made a decision that, you know what? I want to make sure that I have uninterrupted time with the Lord to seek him to pray. Because one of these days, I'm going to die of something. And I want to be very sure that I'm ready for the next part of life. And we all have to be ready for that. So don't focus on everything around you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He'll get you through. And will you fall sometimes? Yes, just like Peter. Sometimes you get your eyes off and you, and, you, and you stumble, but then he's there to grab you as soon as you turn to him. Cry out. Jesus says, I'm right there. I'll help you. Some of you are entering a storm. Some of you are right in the middle of one. Some of you are on your way out of one. But it doesn't matter which place. The Lord wants you to know he's there with you. He is Emmanuel. I, I thought 2020 was the craziest year until 2021 came. And what's 2022 going to be like? Who knows? Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And I can tell you this. If you trust him, he'll get you through. He will get you through. I am confident of that.